Hello and welcome to a new episode of Pat's Chat. Today, a uh, slightly new setup. I'm working from home. I'm doing the podcast from home uh, due to the CMCO here in Malaysia. Uh, but then still, I'm very happy to have an awesome guest today, Zach Liu from Curlic, um, CEO and co-founder. Uh, thank you very much, Zach, for your time and joining me today. Thanks for having me, Pat. Hey, how, how, how is life currently with this uh, current situation? Life is a little bit funny. I can imagine for most people, it's a funky period. Um, so much uncertainty. So sort of like on a personal and a business level, it's, uh, it's really quite difficult. And I think we can also all agree that sort of the government as well aren't particularly helping uh, sort of on the personal and business front due to all this uncertainty so it's a funny year and it's crazy like yesterday i got a someone was booking in something for december I'm like, wow it's really december you know some december's just around the corner so crazy year crazy year. absolutely you're you're right the uh, the year passed like nothing and if you're looking back then well you really have to figure out what you have done over the past 12 months Exactly, exactly. I think, yeah, you just sort of, everything shrinks into one. It sort of, you just lose track of time, if I'm being honest. <laughs> okay, let's see. Um, as usual, I start with your uh, past and uh, I just uh, came up with the, uh, the fact that you studied uh, law. Uh, so you're uh, a lawyer. As, um, you studied in London and Bristol, I think in UK. Um, mm. how, how did that uh, happen? I mean, was it your target to become a lawyer? Was that your your big goal in the end? Short answer is no. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, how I got into it, I'm going to be perfectly honest. When I was sort of, you know, 16, 17, 18, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, you know, and I was academically relatively well-rounded. I sort of you know, didn't have a particular subject I was super, super specialized in. Um, and, uh, you know, coming from a Chinese family, Asian family, sort of my dad was legally trained and such. I was definitely pushed in that direction. Uh, so that's how I ended up doing it. Ended up doing it. Uh, did three years at Bristol undergrad. And then for some reason, I went and did uh, law school. I, I, got, I got called to the bar in the UK, in London, uh, following that. So I did four years of legal education and then after that just didn't practice a day in my life uh, <laughs> to, to a little bit of my parents dismay so um <laughs> okay you know i think yeah so i think i think whilst you know i actually i'm glad i went through the experience um you know i think it was pretty apparent that i never wanted to become a lawyer particularly when i was sort of in my final year mm -hmm. um but what i did find was that there are tons of skills that i had picked up you know whether it's like analytical stuff or you know because I was doing quite a lot of advocacy and stuff like that. They're super transferable to sort of general life and, and particularly what it is I'm doing now. So no, no lost time, basically. Uh, you, you study for your life when you do that. Um, you didn't become a lawyer, as you said. Uh, interestingly, you changed. Um, your first job uh, also back in the in, uh, UK was uh, working at the bank. Yeah, so that was one of my first jobs not no complete my first but one of my first uh, which was like yeah working at Barclays uh, in London okay so bank was your first thing uh, later you went to um, tech company I think they sold yeah. cloud yeah. solutions if I read that yeah. correctly so yes. what, what was your triggers for both 
for changing the industries? I mean, both the bank, the tech, is it like just discover what you really like, uh, get your experience or what was the um, background really for these decisions? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, you said it there, right? Like just exploring more than anything, you know? Again, I don't really know. I didn't really have any idea what I wanted to do. I think uh, maybe the, like, the background to all of this is I knew at some point in time I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. I just didn't know what is my honest answer. I, 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 I grew up with entrepreneurial parents. You know, I did say my dad was a lawyer, but sort of he became an entrepreneur after that. Uh, and my mom as well. So you know, I always came from that sort of background. Uh, but I wanted, you know, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I tried my hand at banking, uh, which was cool. Um, not so cool but it was it was it was i learned a lot you know working in a big company uh you sort of see sort of the inner workings of a bank processes what's good what's bad um and sort of you get a good understanding of that all uh and then sort of working on the tech side um that's really when i started to find okay something that i'm really really interested in is technology how it changes mm -hmm. uh you know how we can improve things you know change behaviors etc um, and, uh, yeah, no, and ever since then, uh, you know, sort of on the technology front, that was cool. And then, uh, sort of combining the two is now how I've ended up at FinTech. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that's, uh, yeah. what was next? Um, you co-founded, uh, Curlic in, uh, December, 2017. So, uh, two years, mm -hmm. uh, three years, two years ago. Um, yeah. So when well, you came back to KL to do that, what, what was yes. first? You came back or is it like the idea to, to want to start up uh, a company um, but doing that in Malaysia? How, how, how was the process really? Um, what was first? What came after that? Yeah, so, you know, in terms of... Uh, I didn't fully move back to KL until uh, this came up. Um, I was not to say in between jobs, but I was in a little bit of limbo. Um, and then sort of when this was presented, uh, to me, uh, by my co-founder, Steve, um, you know, it, it sort of was the sort of, all right, I'm coming back to, to KL. Okay, so Steve brought you here. It's a, it's a good uh, topic I wanted to discuss with, uh, about sure. that also. Um, Steve is originally um, from, from Europe. He worked like a, a long time in Hong Kong, also in KL. Um, but what really impressed me is like the, the age gap that you two have. So you were uh, founding this company together. Uh, Steve, I think I, I read it somewhere so I can disclose that he's uh, nearly 65. You're uh, below 30. Um, how did that like really work out? I mean, what was uh, your thoughts at the beginning? It's like, oh, I need to work or I found a company with someone that is like, okay, on one side, for sure, also experienced. But on the other side, like one or one and a half generations uh, uh, away from yourself. Yeah. It's a good question. Uh, we get funny looks every time we walk into a meeting together. Don't worry. <laughs> um, so, uh, I mean, I mean, the, the history of Steve and myself is actually Steve is, uh, he's a family friend. Um, you know, his, his son uh, is best friends with my brother. Uh, and we grew up together. So he's known me since I was a little kid. Okay, uh, yeah. And uh, I actually done a little bit of work with Steve previously or for Steve, if you want to call it that. Um, and sort of, you know, he, he, like you said, you know, he's got a bunch of experience in the sort of technology sector, financial sector, 
Um, and really sort of Kerlek was sort of his brainchild, you know, I'm sure if you, if you ever met him, he'll tell you the story of sort of how this is 20, 30 years in the making, um, back from his sort of Unisys days uh, in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and sort of we were presented the opportunity to, to really what do what we're doing, um, sort of, when was that, 2016, 2017 time. Um, so when he sort of came to me and said, hey, you know, this is what we want to do, uh, but I don't think I can do this by myself. I need a sort of a younger guy involved. Um, obviously, I think the reality is, you know, my first question is like, do you really think I can do it? You know, I think, I think as a young guy, right. I was, I was 27 at the time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry, 26 at the time. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and I, and I, you know, he obviously sort of showed a lot of confidence in me, uh, convinced me. Um, and sort of that's where it all started. Uh, you know, I think we always joke about it. Uh, at the time of starting the company, we were the direct inverse, uh, of the, each other in terms of age, 26 and 62. Uh, I, I that see, is yeah. public knowledge, so that <laughs> can be disclosed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So you know, it's uh, it's interesting relationship. You know, we're very close. Um, on the one hand, he's obviously a business partner, but on the other hand, he's also mm -hmm. a mentor. So yeah. you know, there's a there's an interesting relationship there. We we I mean, we're very close, uh, and we've sort of known each other for, for many many years. And I think mm -hmm. you know, on the one hand, um, I don't really know how to put it, but you know he brings a lot of experience to the table, you know, and I, and really he's the young guy at heart as well. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, on the other hand, I think what I bring to the table is, you know, obviously someone young sees a different perspective, you know, and, in, in, in terms of sort of the technology times that we're living in. Um, you know, I think it's that sort of young energy combined with sort of the, the old head, um, which, uh, I think it's a good combination. I think it's a good combination. Yeah, I, I basically just wanted to ask you about that. What, what if, what, what's your opinion? Obviously, obviously, it works out uh, quite well. I mean, your company started really great, has a, a lot of success, um, got a lot of uh, awards already. You're also named uh, in, in Forbes 30 under 30 uh, list, which is, which is awesome. Um, we, we talk a lot about like, okay, when funding companies, like finding the right co-founder or should you go alone even? Um, but would you say like that was really, is one of your strengths that you're really, I mean, different generations, different cultures. Uh, is that a better setup from your point of view than like, like-minded guys maybe or that are closer together in their mindsets? Yeah. I mean, I think while Steve and me are, sort of completely separate into experience. Um, we're actually very similar in a lot of ways. Uh, so that helps. Um, and we get on very well. And like I said, he's a, he's a young guy at heart. You, you have a, a little bit of a, um, a meeting point in terms of that. Uh, in terms of sort of like the founding team and stuff like that, I think it's always, there's a lot of sort of narrative about that, right? Making sure you pick right co-founders, right co-founding team, et cetera, et cetera. I think for us, you know, we've obviously got Steve's wealth of experience and sort of, like I said, the stuff I think I, I can bring to the table. Um, you know, I think the key is just making sure you get along. You get along, obviously you challenge when needs to be challenged. Um, you know, you sort of can't be yes, yes, yes the whole time. Yeah. Um, but on alternative, it can't be sort of no, 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 and sort of you blow up and, 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 and all that sort of stuff. So. I think, uh, you know, we've got a good mutual relationship and sort of the team we're building around us as well, sort of really buy into that and, and, mm -hmm. and sort of where it is we want to go. So I think, you know, fundamentally it, it works out. Um, you know, so I, I do sometimes think about this, you know, if I'd started up a company with a bunch of 26 year olds at the time, how would that go? And I think 
don't know. I, I, it, it would be interesting. I'm not sure whether how successful that would have gone, but <laughs> it would be interesting. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Thanks, thanks for sharing that experience and uh, those ideas. Um, you mentioned before you um, Kroenig is a is a fintech. That's what you promote. Um, is it a hype word? What is fintech? What? How is your definition of fintech nowadays? Fintech is a hype word. I think, you know, that's the short answer to it all. Um, you know, it's not as if financial technology has just been invented. You know, banks have had technology for many, many years. Um, you know, I think, I think, you know, in terms of my definition of fintech, it's definitely what has become uh, more apparent, at least in the last few years, is in terms of accessibility. You know, cloud has changed everything, obviously, and sort of the way in which um, services, financial products can reach an end user, whether that's uh, another business or a consumer. Um, you know, in terms of sort of taking down those barriers, it doesn't have to come from a bank anymore. It can come from sort of companies like us, you know, and, and in terms of sort of our view on fintech, you know, I think sort of the whole concept of a bank is going to really start to change um, in the next few years, you know. Banks, generally speaking, you know, historically have sold products A to Z, right? You know, across their, their whole suite. Uh, but I think our, our definition of a bank is really going to start to change, you know, whether that banks are just a store of money, you know, and they're just a set of APIs moving forward, you know, just a set of serv services are built on top of that. You know, you have a marketplace of services uh, or products, even if you want to call it that. So I think, you know, that's how I see it. The accessibility, the choice, um, you know, is really how I start to define fintech. But is fintech a hype word? Yes. You know, I don't think uh, financing techno technology have uh, sort of been invented in the past like three, five <laughs> years or something. Okay, maybe maybe not a, f a fair question. Uh, but I mean, this these terms just pop up uh, recently. I see that you have like Martech and LawTech, and um, I I don't know. Everything is about uh, tech. But uh, as you said correctly, I mean, it was like this before. It's not really that banks are just starting to use technology or digital technologies right right now yeah. um what what confused me sometimes is or what what uh, also some of the people are confused when they when they hear fintech uh they think it's everything about uh, e-wallet right that is the first thing that comes in your mind when you hear fintech and uh um but you are not doing a e-wallet right i mean we have many e-wallets here in malaysia this is crazy but um uh, talk me through what curlic is really doing from your uh from your perspective yeah so i mean you're completely right i think when we say we're curlic we're a fintech company to other sort of you know people who aren't in the industry um and particularly when you say you're you're involved in payments the first question is are you an e-wallet uh and the answer is no, <laughs> we're not in e-wallet. Um, you know, uh, I think, uh, I mean, in terms of what we are, we're obviously a fintech company, uh, and our whole value proposition is that we make it easy for businesses to collect payments. Um, collect payments, particularly recurring payments, is our, our niche, uh, and ultimately sort of at a fundamental level to, to take control of their cash flow. You know, that, that, that's what we're helping businesses take control of their cash flow. And how we do this is, we build technology on top of uh, banking payment infrastructure, where that sort of bank-to-bank -bank payment infrastructure, sort of the local network here in Malaysia is Paynet. Uh, alternatively, more recently, we've also rolled out card processing through the Visa MasterCard network. So, you know, 
that's what we're about. We're more, more about collections as opposed to payments. Um, although we, although we do have payment capabilities, uh, but you know, fintech and, and payments more generally is extremely, extremely broad, right? And to just sort of define it as an e-wallet type of thing is, is, you know, I think it's, it's a, it's a little naive. Um, uh, but you know, it's, it's like I said, so broad. And even when you just take payments as sort of its own individual component of fintech, um, you know, there's so many different types of payments, you know, and in the case of e-wallets that B2C, retail, point of sale type transactions, generally speaking, um, it's easy to see, it's easy to touch, it's easy to understand. Uh, but when you look sort of at the B2B space, which is, you know, in some ways we're addressing sort of the inefficiencies of B2B payments, um, it's unsexy, uh, but there's still a huge market to go after there. So, you know, I think, uh, I mean, that's what we're about, Kerlek, and that's just my personal view on sort of yeah. fintech and, yeah. Sure. So you're uh, doing, you're covering the B2B or are you covering the B2C uh, market really? Both. Both, Both. yeah. Uh, and as in, as in um, we are, we're a B2B company, mm -hmm. um, but we can facilitate both B2B transactions as well as B2C. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so B2B2B or B2B2C, you know, so yeah. in a, on the con consumer level, subscription payments for you know, membership type stuff, take a, yeah. a gym, you know, you pay your recurring uh, membership. But in the B2B space, you know, again, recurring bills, invoice, recurring invoices, um, you know, take a uh, outsource accountant or outsource company secretary, you know, who bills you every month, every quarter, mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, there's still very, very manual processes involved. And, you know, those are the sort of things that we want to solve. I, I understand that's a, that's a very good uh, point. So direct debit payment is basically the process of you as a consumer granting your uh, the company that invoices you maybe on a monthly basis, for example, in, in insurance, the right to uh, get the money from your account directly without any further interaction. Correct. Yeah, Correct. But, yeah it's a, it's a one-time authorization. A one-time authorization that you can, of course, also uh, cancel any time, right? Because as a sense of it, a bit scary. Um, but why would that be? I mean, um, why, why would that be? Uh, well, it is a huge market, but the question would be, why is that? Why is uh, direct uh, debit payment such a huge market still today? Yeah, you know, I, I'm going to sort of reframe that question. So why is recurring payment such a huge market? You know, and I think, uh, you know, like I said, the existing B2C and B2B market is already huge, you know, um, in, the, in, in the case of B2B, you know, so, so many different industries haven't been touched and can't be touched by traditional processing, whether that's, you know, uh, credit card processing uh, or in the case of sort of new age processing e-wallets, you know, those guys can't handle that. So already existing uh, large market to go after and why it's never really been addressed is because mechanisms like direct debit have been so difficult to use in the past. You know, it's all been paper-based, you know, which means that firstly, only corporates can use it. SMEs have never had the ability to use it. You know, direct debit is not a new concept, but just the accessibility of it is. Banks would never serve uh, SMEs, you know, and now we are serving that market. We're serving the underserved guy, who, SME, who's never been able to do this by using technology, but also by being able to go out and serve them from a cost perspective. We've got a team that can go and do that. Uh, but I think, you know, it's never really been used why the market's so big. But I think actually, you know, this, this, this pie is only getting bigger. Um, 
And really for us, we are big believers in this whole concept or this whole notion of the subscription economy. Um, this idea that more and more commerce is going to start to go um, on a recurring basis, you know, for obvious reasons, businesses want predictable income. They want recurring customers, um, consumers or end users don't want to buy products anymore. They'd rather subscribe to services. And, you know, Patrick, you're from technology background. You understand sort of how SaaS has changed software, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think we're seeing the SaaSification of, of many, many other industries. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and I think, uh, I think, I think, I think, I think this pandemic has really been a big wake up call to a lot of companies. Um, yeah. you know, when you, yeah. when your, when your revenues just fall off a cliff overnight, you need predictable recurring income. Um, so really for us, our long-term play here is serving businesses in that. Obviously payments is one component of, of the, the, that piece of the jigsaw. Um, but the pie is only getting bigger. Um, so we think there's a huge market to go after and obviously we're very bullish on it. And um, of course you are, I mean, the, the market is uh, huge. We're talking only about Malaysia is already huge. You made, um, I think, a hundred million ringgit has passed through Curlic, uh over the past, what was that, 12 to 18 months, I think, something like that. Um, it's yeah. a huge amount uh, of money that is really, um, um, well, turned around um, via, via Curlic. Um, that that gives you, of course, all the right to um, to well believe that is a a, a great market. It is um, again Curlic um, awarded with Malaysia's best fintech startup um, at the Southeast Asian Global Startup Awards last year. That's a long that's a long title. Um, a very long title. Yeah, it's a long title. Uh, are yeah. you striving to become the next uh, Malaysian unicorn? Sure answer, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you should say yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think we've got to dream big, right? Um, and I think for us, actually, you know, we, we think about this, right? Because everyone says they want to be the next unicorn. And I think everyone should strive to be the next, you know, humongous company or next unicorn uh, that comes out of the region. You've got to dream big. Um, and sort of, we're no different. We're dreaming big. Uh, you know, I think maybe just to correct one of your statements there, it's actually 100 US. Uh, 100 million US dollars we process through the system. Oh, wow. Now, okay. Uh, awesome. Which were, which is, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, even four times just, more just, than ring it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just fresh, just, just hot the press. Um, you know, but I think also for us, um, part of the challenge that we see uh, for us is obviously scaling the business, but scaling the business as a Malaysian business. Um, you know, there's always a, a, a perception, at least, you know, when you talk to investors or other companies around the region, sexier markets around Southeast Asia, as an example. Um, and generally speaking, Malaysia is seen as a bit of a sleepy country. Uh, you know, we want to change that perception, um, you know, and, and become genuinely the first Malaysian unicorn. I know that there is another one sitting down in Singapore. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, 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 we want to we put Malaysia on the map. You know, mm-hmm. we've got such great talent here. Uh, we've got, you know, you know, it's a lot of smart people. Um, and it's just, you know, we want to, we want to wave the flag and, and try to get to where we need to be, where we deserve to be, to be honest. Und- understand and uh, fully agree with you also. Uh, it would be awesome to have uh, a unicorn, a Malaysian unicorn that stays in Malaysia also, uh, <laughs> giving some <laughs> punches to the side. Um, you, you just recently uh, received venture uh, money, I think, from 500 startups. Uh, yeah. Undisclosed amount, maybe a chance right now to let us know. Undisclosed. 
Undisclosed. <laughs> okay, no worries. Um, how do you see like uh, venture capital uh, money coming into the the company? I mean, of course, it gives you the it gives you the opportunity to develop, to become bigger, to to uh, expand. Also, um, you give up a little bit of power. Also, and uh, when we just mentioned, like, okay, you want to stay in Malaysia, do do you see that as a risk? Is that something you can talk to with a VC and say, look, that is what we are going to do? Is that in line with your uh, investment that you're really doing. Yeah, and so I think you know when you when you start to take VC money on, um, things change. Uh, is the reality right? At the end of the day, sort of what is a, a VC's purpose of investing money in you? It's to make money, you know. And there's sort of there's no two ways about it, right? They're in it to make money for their LPs who've invested in their fund. Um, you know, so obviously you've got to show growth. We're lucky because 500 startups, you know, are great to work with. Very, very supportive. I think I can safely say this very hands off as well. So, and, mm -hmm. you know, particularly as an early stage company, you know, you don't want to be sort of bogged down with reporting and sort of just managing investors the whole time. You want to be out there trying to sell your product, develop your product, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. And 500 startups, yeah. And 500 startups are extremely supportive um, mm -hmm. and really, really great to work with really, really great to work with. Um, you know, I think, I think long-term wise, obviously we will look to bring in more funding. Um, but you know, like you said, it, 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 things change, you know, and, and, you know, we was, you know, we want to be a Malaysian company. I think we, we also want to, we want to expand regionally, uh, you know, and, you know, further down the line, bringing in the right people, investors, uh, to help us go into other countries, provide the right support you know we don't know any everything um you know i think is is, is pretty key um so yeah did that answer your question i don't know i think i might have rambled a little bit <laughs> no no, no. i think i think also the question was a bit uh <laughs> not, yeah. not so easy but i think you, you got a point yeah. at least i i get the ideas um yeah. uh, about it uh, again uh this is uh money you can develop you can expand um you but of course yeah as you said uh this is investment because they want to make money um obviously different VCs, different approaches um i'm i'm happy to hear that uh, 500 startups has this like as you said hands off um you just mentioned also like your next plans that will that will have been my next question uh develop regionally what what is the next big things coming up that we can see from curling yeah so you know, up until now, we've been very, very focused on Malaysia. You know, we started off as a Malaysian company uh, based here, um, sort of launched the company in 2018, early 2018, and sort of have just been in Malaysia. You know, like I said, focused primarily on direct debit. Uh, we do FPX as well and many other stuff. Uh, but, you know, that's a domestic payment product. You know, a domestic payment product that no one's really touched at the moment. And it's such that we've been focused on Malaysia and Malaysian merchants and stuff like that. What we have recently done is sort of moved, you know, recurring payments is our niche, not direct debit, you know, and, and um, recurring payments, adding the capability to do recurring payments via Visa MasterCard. You know, so you're adding out, bulking out the payment options out there, still with this recurring payments theme in mind. Um, and really sort of when we look to expand, it's going to other countries, adding recurring payments um, in those respective countries, you know, the direct debit payment equivalents, working with those countries. There are a lot of interesting developments going on in this space in terms of sort of how the way in which um, 
central banks or clearing houses will start to process payments. Real-time payments is coming. It's just around the corner. Oh, it's, it's already here. Do it now is, is, is one example in, yeah, yeah, in true. Malaysia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and and sort of, you know, between sort of the, you know, switches in, in all the countries, tying those up, you know, so the ability to cross-border payments extremely mm-hmm. cheaply mm-hmm. and also real-time is something that we're super excited about and we want to be a part of. Um, so, you know, regional expansion uh, through payments, but also I think, you know, like I said, we're big believers in this whole concept of the subscription economy. And when you look at sort of uh, the subscription economy or sort of subscri- recurring revenue businesses, the processes involved in all of this, actually there's a lot of stuff in there that is not being served at the moment, at least in this part of the world, you know, payments just one piece of the puzzle, but you've got a whole bunch of other processes that, you know, aren't well, our serve, but by manual means, um, you know, subscription billing, uh, you know, from the whole onboarding order process, you know, what are the different subscription plans I have, et cetera, different pricing, tiers of pricing. There's so many different combinations of this um, billing and invoicing, um, you know, and then uh, payments, which is what we really do, reconciliation, which we partly do, and all the sort of analytics and data, you know, custom analytics, data analytics, sales analytics that go along with this. So really producing an end-to-end piece of software um, and, you know, really means that businesses can come into the subscription economy. Uh, so, you know, that's what we're also building. Payments just one piece of the puzzle. Uh, but it's, uh, it's pretty cool. We're, we're excited by it because, like I said, we're very bullish on this whole notion that more and more commerce is going to go recurring uh, and, you know, building tools for businesses to ultimately get into that is uh, what we want to do. Awesome, awesome. A lot of things to come from Curlic. I'm really excited to see uh, the future, the next things that are coming, uh, following your company, also yourself. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Zach, for sharing your um, insights and knowledge. I uh, really appreciate that. And I think uh, there's a lot of uh, good ideas behind it. Uh, maybe uh, uh, two, two, three final words uh, for... Uh, Uh, fresh grads for students that want to become entrepreneurs. What is currently with uh, CMCO in Malaysia, your number one tip if you want to start a business right now? That's a good question. (laughs) Uh, That's a good question. I think, I think in light of everything, um, it really does depend on the industry would, would be my take on this. Um, You know, if you want to be an entrepreneur, do look at industries right now that are set to benefit. Maybe benefit is the, the, a bad word here, but are set to sort of ultimately long-term do well as a result of sort of, you know, the trends that we're seeing now. And if you can, if you can identify something in those spaces and then execute against that, you know, then why not, you know, throw yourself into that sort of uncomfortable position. I think if you're sort of someone looking to get into something more traditional, I think be a little bit wary because, you know, entrepreneurship is not sort of, you know, it's glamorous from the outside, but sort of in the inside, there's a lot of hard work and sort of particularly when it's your own money, et cetera. Um, so be a bit wary for that. But I think, you know, if you have something, look at sort of the trends that are going to come out of this um, and go for it. Awesome. Thank you very much, Zach, for your time again and sharing your uh, ideas, your um, knowledge, your wisdom about, um, well, fintech uh, also what you do at Curlic. i really wish you great success and um yeah thanks thanks very much pat 
Thanks. And uh, thanks uh, to the audience for watching this episode. I hope you liked it. And then I see you next week for another episode of Pat's Chat. Thanks. Have a great day.